I don't know about you, but seeing that Rubik's Cube up there just stresses me out. Remember those back in the day? I, I, I would finally be the kid who'd pull off all the stickers and put them back on. Uh, just to line it all up again. Um, that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about things that puzzle us about God, faith, Christianity. And uh, today we're going to talk about an important thing that, that I think deep down, even if you've been in the church for a while, actually puzzles us. But before I dive into that, I want to talk about the fact that every religion in the world has things about it that are puzzling. It just seems to be the nature of world religions. Um, Hinduism, for instance. Uh, what really puzzles me about Hinduism is this central idea of a, of a caste system. That the position you're born into in life is a, is a result of what you did in your previous life. And so maybe you know something about the caste system, but, but the thing that really puzzles me is, is that this religion then almost discourages compassion to those who are beneath you, and a caste beneath you, because in order to show compassion to someone who is presumably suffering for something they did in a life beforehand, you are getting in the way of their karmic fate. You know, you're, you're interfering with judgment that's being heaped out on someone else. And, and so it's almost a religion that, that discourages compassion, and, and that puzzles me. Or I think about Islam and the teaching about paradise in Islam. And that's kind of a confusing teaching in and of itself. But what really puzzles me is this idea that you can be a good Muslim, but you can never be sure whether or not you'll go to paradise. In Islam, there are only a few things that you can do to guarantee your way to paradise. And one of those things is to commit an act of jihad. Which explains why some people who are desperate for a better existence than they have and hoping for paradise are willing to do extreme things for the sake of someday getting into paradise. That, that puzzles me. Or I think about Buddhism. Maybe you don't know a lot about Buddhism. I don't know a whole lot about it. I know that there's this concept of nirvana. And in Buddhism, nirvana isn't just kind of a name for heaven. It's really a different concept. Nirvana actually means extinction. It is the extinction of yourself, of your desire, of your soul, of your being, and certainly of your, of your struggle. And to me, I just I think about that. I go, is, is that really the best we can hope for in life? Is that someday we'll just we'll get to be extinguished or extincted and, and, uh, and we'll just cease to exist? Is, is that really the best that eternity has to offer for us? It puzzles me. I think closer to home of Mormonism and this teaching about um, if you're a good Mormon man, then someday you'll be able to be the god of your own planet. And if you're a woman who's married to a good Mormon man, good news for you, you get to look forward to being eternally pregnant. <laughs> Populating the planet with spirit babies, right? I mean, yay for being eternally pregnant. My wife was like, three pregnancies, I'm done. You know, you can get as many kids as you want out of three pregnancies, but three's all you get. You know, pregnancy forever. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a puzzling teaching to me. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful of, of what other people believe. The reality is that there are puzzling things about Christianity, too. And that's why we're spending seven weeks talking about different things that puzzle us about the Christian faith. And certainly, we could probably spend a whole year talking about things that are puzzling within Christianity. And yet, the reality is um, that as, as we're dealing with some of these puzzling uh, topics that we've come up with, these aren't topics that I thought of. The reality is these are topics that a lot of you sent into us. We, we went out combing, I don't know if you remember this, back in December, and we said, you know, send us questions that puzzle you about God or faith or the Bible. And uh, some of you took that very seriously. In fact, there was one woman in the congregation who, who took this so seriously that she went and did some homework. She sent out an email to some of her friends, friends who don't go to church, um, one friend who's actually an avowed atheist, and uh, she asked them this question, and she got responses from some of them. And, and one of the responses was from a woman who was a Christian, is now atheist, 
And she gave an earful about the things that puzzle her about Christianity. And one thing in particular that she said I found especially insightful, and I want to share it with you. These are her exact words. I'm going to share them with you today. She said, why is it that non-belief in Christianity, why is it that non-belief in Christianity is the only thing that's truly unforgivable? All other sins can supposedly be, for, be forgiven through Jesus. Murder, rape, hurting children, etc. But if you don't believe in him, you're screwed. Her words, not mine. No matter how many good and kind things you do. And if God had really thought it was important to believe in him, why did he give us logical minds? Why did he give us science? And you, you can hear some of the heat in her words, some of the hurt, some of the frustration, or maybe even confusion in her words. But it does raise an important question for us about faith, doesn't it? I mean, why is it, according to Christian teaching, why is it that you can have a person who is a murderer, maybe, maybe a, a dictator over, over a whole country who causes the needless suffering of millions of people? Why is it that you can have someone who is a predator, who preys on you know, young people or elderly people, but weak or vulnerable people? You think of, of people who are, who are trafficking children in the world today. Why is it that, that really awful people, you know, really bad people like, like even Washington politicians... Why is it that those people, you know, maybe just even right before death, if they profess Christ, according to Christian teaching, God just kind of overlooks all of that, and they get to spend their eternity with God. They get to be saved. And why is it that, that that's true on one side, but on the other side, you can have a good person who lives a very good life, who's helpful to people, who's kind, who's merciful, who's generous, but for whatever reason, they don't believe in Jesus. And maybe that reason is that they've never even heard of Jesus but again, why is it according to Christian teaching that no matter how good they are, if they don't believe, if they don't have faith, they have to spend their eternity in hell? It's puzzling, isn't it? I mean, how can God favor one and not favor the other? What kind of messed up curve does God grade on? What kind of scales does God use? It, they're so different from ours. Just as last week I was reading an article that was talking about James Earl Ray. He's the man who assassinated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I was reading an article that, that claimed that in 1985, James Earl Ray professed Christ. He became a Christian. He died later in the, uh, in the 90s. And, and I'm just thinking, okay, so if this is true, if this is true that James Earl Ray in 1985 professed Christ and, and lived the rest of his life as a Christian, that means, according to Christian teaching, that this guy who, was, who not only committed a horrible act of murder and assassination of a, one of the greatest leaders of our, of our last century, greatest leaders of our time, but a guy who also had a rap sheet a mile long, who escaped from prison, did all kinds of bad things, that means that he is now, according to Christian teaching, he is now enjoying the same eternity, sitting in the same place as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's messed up, isn't it? I mean, that goes beyond puzzling. That's, that's just frustrating to the core of who I am. And so today, what I want to talk about is not heaven and hell. I don't want to talk about forgiveness and judgment. We will talk about that in a couple of weeks as a part of the series. But today, I, I want to talk simply about faith and why it matters so much to God, so much that God is willing to overlook everything else about a person so as long as they have it, as long as they have faith. And to try to deal with this topic today, uh, I'm going to look in a book of the Bible called Ephesians. It's a letter that a man named Paul, 
And Paul started off his life as a skeptic. So if you're a skeptic, you're in good company. Paul was a skeptic for much of his life about Jesus. And then uh, Paul came to faith in Jesus. He became convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. And, uh, and so he, he's writing a letter to these people who are living in a town called Ephesus, a pretty big city actually, on the Mediterranean. It's in modern-day Turkey. And, uh, and these are people who, like a lot of us, were puzzled about the role of faith. They had some very serious questions about faith and, and, and the scales that God uses to judge us. And so Paul writes them a letter, and it's uh, recorded in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at chapter 2. And just a warning to you, this is a very heady, thick letter. It's powerful, but it's, it's kind of hard to get to. So what I want to do today is I'm going to read through it once, and then we're going to go back and we're going to pick it apart. So I'm going to go through the whole thing once, and if you want to open up a Bible, this might be helpful for you. Or if you want to fire up your phone and go to uh, uversion.com and type in STJSTL, you can follow along there. You can take notes and keep them for later. Uh, but we're going to run through this together. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 4, Paul is addressing this question of faith, this puzzling idea that God favors those who have faith, even if they're terrible people. So Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I told you it's kind of thick. Hang with me. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork or his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, so this is Paul's attempt to explain this puzzling thing about faith, why it matters so much to God. And I told you it's, it's pretty thick, it's pretty dense. So let's go back and let's dive in a little further. So back to verse 4, the very start of this. This is how Paul starts. He says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. And, and I'm just going to pause here. Because to me, this is where everything begins in Christianity. It begins with who God is. That God is a God who is rich in mercy. He is a God who is filled with great love for us. And I just need to be honest about something. This, probably more than anything else, is what puzzles me about God and about the faith. That he is a God who is rich in mercy and that he is a God filled with great love. To me, that doesn't make sense. If, if we were to read in the Bible that God is a God who is chronically frustrated with us, that would make sense to me. If it said that God was a God who is, who, is, who is consistently ticked off with us, that would totally make sense to me. I would get that. I would understand that. But this idea that God is a God who is filled with great love for us, he is rich in mercy, that puzzles me. And if you're not nodding along right now, that's because you don't know how frustrating and annoying you really are. You need a teenager in your household. They'll set you straight. Right? I mean, the reality is when I look at my life, I, I'm not a person who deserves mercy. Because I'm not the kind of guy who messes up once, I learn my lesson, and then I do better the next time. I'm the kind of guy who fails over and over again. And, and this idea that God is rich in mercy, I, I don't deserve mercy. I know that even the people who love me the most, my family, um, that sometimes I'm a hard person to love. They have a hard time loving me even though they try. It's a lot of work. And then I think about their standards compared to God's standards. And this idea that God is a God who, who has great love for me, 
that doesn't make sense to me. That, that puzzles me. How can that possibly be true? See, see, this is where your faith starts. This is where Christianity starts with this idea of who God is, that God above all is not chronically frustrated, is not ticked off just waiting to judge the world. He is a God who is filled with great love for us, and he is rich in mercy. And because of that, Paul says, next verse, because God is filled with great love, because he's rich in mercy, he's made us alive with Christ, even though, even when... We were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, uh, this word transgressions, maybe that's a, a different word for you or a new word for you. Does anyone know a synonym of that word transgressions? Go ahead and shout it out. Sin. Yeah, anything else come to mind? What was that? Iniquity, that's another word that the Bible uses a lot. Yeah, this word transgressions specifically has this idea of, of there is a line and you crossed it. It's the same word that we translate trespasses sometimes. You know, even the Lord's Prayer, we pray about trespasses. So it's this idea that there's a boundary, there's a line, and, and we cross that line. It's like, you know, here's the line, don't cross it. And it's like, oh yeah? That's a transgression, okay? Um, so it says that when we were um, dead in our transgressions, dead in our transgressions, now that may be kind of confusing to you, because even though you, like me, are a transgressor, you, you kind of feel alive today, right? <laughs> um, and so what the Bible is actually saying is, this isn't referring to a, a, uh, a bodily death, a once and for all death. This, this is referring to a slow death. Not just in body, but in spirit. Now, some of you are beginning to feel that slow death creeping into your body, right? I mean, you've got aches and pains and things going on in your body that didn't used to be there. And, and you know that there is a slow death that's happening to your body as a result of the fact that we constantly are crossing God's boundaries for us. But, but it's really talking about this, this other kind of slow death, the spiritual death. And, and, you know, there's evidence of that in your life. Those feelings of meaninglessness and purposelessness, those feelings of bitterness, of, of, of envy, of jealousy, of, of hurt. All of that is a sign that we are dying a slow death in our transgressions. That's the reality of our existence. You just have to, just have to pay attention to life and you realize that this is true. And yet, this is not what God wants for us. Because he's a God who's rich in mercy. He has great love for us. And so he stepped in. He intervened. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. That means that, that God has already begun the work of making us alive again. See, I think one of the biggest confusions about Christianity is that Jesus came into the world only to save you from hell. That's not true. Jesus didn't come only to save you from hell. But he came also to save you from the hell of an empty life. And God isn't only concerned about your eternity. Jesus didn't just come to save you so that you could have a full eternity. He came so that you could have fullness in the here and now. See, that's what Paul is saying, that he made us alive. This is already happening to us, even though we were dying a slow death because of our transgressions. And then he throws out this phrase. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. It's a word we're going to see a lot in this section. Does anyone have a synonym for grace? It's a word we use a lot in the church. Anybody? Undeserved love? Gift? What is that? Mercy. Mercy, yeah. You know my favorite word for grace? Those are all great words. My favorite word for grace is the word favor. Favor. That God favors us undeservedly. Undeserved favor. So it is by undeserved favor you have been saved. And again, this isn't just a, a one-time thing sometime in the future. God has a desire to do that now. He doesn't want to see us dying this slow death in our transgressions. And, and so that's what Paul will talk about next in verse 6. 
He says, and God raised us up. He's already done this. He's raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I know you're still here on earth, but God has done something into your life. He's lifted you out of death and he's, he's brought you into these heavenly realms. So, so again, this is something that God wants for you now, not later. And yet it gets better as time goes on because he continues in verse 7. So God's already done this for you in order that in the coming ages, when Jesus comes back, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, so it's continuing now and it gets even fuller into the future. Now all of this makes me ask a question. And the question is this. If, if God is so predisposed to favor undeservedly, then why is it that only some of us have his favor? Why does he only favor some and not others? And if you've ever asked that question, i got to tell you it's the wrong question. Because the answer is, God does favor everyone. God wants everyone to have his favor. But the problem is, only some of us receive it. Now, I don't know if you uh, saw on, on uh, yeah, if you saw out there on YouTube or Facebook or anything this week, this video clip from the Jimmy Fallon show. So there's Jimmy Fallon on the right with his uh, head in his hands. And then over there next to him, do you see who that is? Nicole Kidman. Yeah, one of the most beautiful uh, actresses of our time, Nicole Kidman. She was on a show. And they're talking about in this clip, and we're not going to show it to you today. You've got to go home and see it. Um, just so look it up when you go home. Uh, it won't be hard to find. She's, uh, she, they're talking about the first time they met. And according to Jimmy Fallon's recollection, one of his buddies called him and said, hey, I'm hanging out with Nicole Kidman. She'd like to meet you. And Jimmy Fallon goes, oh, okay, cool. You know, like maybe she wants me to be in a movie with her or something. And I think she was working on uh, getting ready to work on Bewitched at the time, and everyone knew that. And so he's thinking, cool, okay. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, come on over, come on over. And so um, his mutual friend and Nicole Kidman come over to his house, and he's treating it like it's a, a job interview. And he's kind of awkward, and he's trying to figure out where she's going with this whole movie pitch and kind of sad that she never asked him about the movie. Well, as she starts talking, she says, well, that's not why I came. I didn't really care about working in a movie with you. I wasn't interested in having you in a movie. The reason I came over is because I was interested in you. Nicole Kidman was interested in him. And, of course, Jimmy Fallon's clueless. And in, in, in the amazing part of this clip, and this is why you have to go and watch it, you have to watch his face when he discovers that Nicole freaking Kidman wanted to date him. And the look of horror that he missed it, Right? It's hilarious, and it's also tragic. And what's the point? The point is, she favored him. She liked him. She even wanted to begin a relationship with him. But he didn't realize that. He didn't see it. He didn't open himself up to it, and so he missed it. You see? The Bible says clearly, God favors everyone. He wants everyone to be made alive with the life that he came to bring. It's, it's for everyone. Not just life in, in eternity, with life in the here and now. He wants it for everyone. But only some take hold of it. Only some receive it. And the rest are like Jimmy Fallon. What's the difference? Well, Paul tells us the difference in verse 8. Important verse. He says, For it is by grace, it is by God's undeserved favor that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is not something you do. It is the gift of God. See, often we read this verse and we see this faith thing and we say, okay, I'm saved by faith. I'm saved because of my faith. I'm saved because I have faith. And what we do in essence is we turn faith into a work. 
We turn it into something that we do that is from ourselves, which is exactly what Paul said it is not. And we imagine, okay, so if I work hard and I have faith, if I believe, God will reward my faith and he'll give me life. But contrary to popular, popular belief, you're not saved because of your faith. That's not why God saves you. It's not like God looks on you and he says, you've got faith, I want to save you. You don't have faith, I don't want to save you. That's not the reality. That's not true. What it says is that you are saved by, what's the word? Grace. You are saved by God's undeserved favor. You're saved because God has a heart to save you. Because it was never his plan for you to die eternally or to die the slow death of existence on this earth. That's not what God wants for anyone So you're saved by his grace, you're saved by his heart for you, his loving kindness, his favor. But faith has an important role. It's not what saves you, but it has an important role. The important role of faith is that faith is a connection. See, it's not a work, it's not something that we do to earn God's favor. Faith is nothing more than a connection. So, So faith is like an oxygen mask on an airplane, Most of you have been on an airplane and you've heard the spiel, right? We never anticipate a loss in cabin pressure. You never anticipate it. Then why are you telling me about it? You're just freaking me out. But, you know, the masks will fall from the ceiling and put it on yourself and then put it on your kid. Unless you don't like your kid, then just put it on yourself. or Something like that. And you know that spiel, right? Well, see, faith is like an oxygen mask. See, the oxygen itself, that's God's grace. What Jesus has done for you in time on the cross, his loving kindness for you, that's the air that you need to survive. That's the air that you breathe. That's what will make you alive. It's not the oxygen mask. The mask doesn't do anything. It's the oxygen. But that mask is important because that's your connection. See, in the same way, faith is the connection. God's grace is what saves you. Who God is and and what he has, that's that's what you need. Faith is your connection to it. Or it's like an umbilical cord. Uh, you know, I, I love modern technology because it, it shows us what is going on in unseen places. And, you know, I, I guess ancients were confused about this because they would just watch a woman's stomach get bigger and then a baby would come out. And, and now we get to take these pictures and we get to see how God knits together truly a child in its mother's womb and how sacred and how amazing that is. And, and we also have learned that this uh, umbilical cord That it's not the source of life. It's important, but it's not the source of life. What's the source of a baby's life? How does a baby stay alive in utero? Through its mother, right? If the mother doesn't live, the baby can't either. And so everything the mother does is is for the baby. She's the source of life. In the same way, God's grace is what keeps us alive. It's what saves us. But faith is the connection, just like the umbilical cord. It's what connects us to the life source. Faith is like the internet. I can't believe I just said that faith is like the internet, but it kind of is. Listen to this. Um, You know, I remember back in the day uh, where you had dial-up and uh, AOL. I remember going over to my uh, in-laws' house, and they weren't my in-laws yet. They were just the parents of the girl I was dating, and uh, and they had AOL. And I remember wanting to do something on their computer, and my mother-in-law was like, oh, no, you can't do that, actually, because we don't have the internet yet. We haven't downloaded it. And I was like... You have AOL, and she's, I was confused, and I came back a few weeks later, and she's like, Dion, guess what? All day long, I've been downloading the internet. And I thought, if you're going to download the whole internet, it's going to take you more than a day. Like, what do you mean? Well, kind of find out what she, what she meant, and she didn't understand this, but she was downloading a web browser. 
And back in dial-up days, that, that did take forever. I mean, it took forever to download a picture. And, uh, and so that she was downloading a web browser so she could get onto the internet. See, see the internet is like God's grace. It's, this, it's just this wealth of information and knowledge, this thing that we want to get to. But without a connection, without a browser, without AOL, without Charter or something, you can't get there. See, faith is a connection. It's not what saves you. It's a connection. And see, first, the first and, and most important question you can ask yourself if you want to experience the life of God is, is, do I have a connection at all? And some people's connection may feel kind of weak and small and, and you got low bandwidth and some of you may have a strong and vital connection, but, but that doesn't really matter because the basic question is, do I have a connection at all? And if you don't, it just doesn't matter how good of a person you are. Because, because without a connection, you can't receive all of the things that God wants to give to you, regardless of whether you're a good person or not. Do you understand this? That if you're a good person sitting on a plane, I'm doing a good job if that little voice understands it. Um, if, if you're a person sitting on a plane and the oxygen mask drops down and, and you're a good person, you have to do the exact same thing as the bad person, you know, the guy who's like reaching over the armrest in your airspace and talking too loud. And you, you've got to do the same thing that he does if you want to live. It's not a question of who's bad or good or who's worthy. It's simply a question of who has the will to live, who is willing to make the connection. And if you're not willing to make that connection with God and the way you make that connection is through faith, then you can't have all the things that God wants for you to have. There's just no way for you to get it. See, do you understand what Jesus has done for us? It's like in time, in history, in human history, we were, we were on this airplane and we just reached cruising altitude and life was getting good because they were coming and bringing food and drink and we're sitting back and we're relaxing and we're enjoying the flight. And then, and then some person got the wise idea that, that they were going to open up the exit door. And all of the air immediately got sucked out of the cabin and, and suddenly life could no longer be good anymore. We couldn't sit back and relax and enjoy the flight. See, that's what happened when sin came into the world. It changed everything for us. And so simply just to live and experience fullness on our own, that's, that's not a possibility for us anymore. But do you understand what Jesus did? He came into the world and he gave his life on a cross and he came back to new life. He, he was raised to new life that he means for all of us to have so he is now the, the air that we breathe. He came into the world to keep us alive. He is your oxygen that you desperately need. He is life, and, 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 and life can't exist apart from him. Jesus once said it this way. He said, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And if you're connected to me, then, then you will bear fruit. You will be full. You will have you will have a full and abundant life forever. But if you separate yourself from me, if you refuse to be connected to me, you're going to dry up and die because you're not connected. See, faith is not what saves anyone. It's our connection to a God who has already done everything necessary for us to have life forever. Faith is not something that you do to earn God's favor. It does not decide who is worthy or not. It only shows who has the will to live. And so today I know that some of you are sitting in here today and, and you're wondering, do, do I have faith or what does this look like or how can I be sure I have a connection? And, you know, I know we have people who come here every week and you come here to, to hear some good life teaching because this is applicable to life and 
and you come here because you've got a loved one who you come here with to be supportive of, but you wouldn't describe yourself as a person of faith. And I just have to tell you that, that what God wants for you is, is to begin a connection with himself so that you can have all of his riches in abundance. He wants to give it to you. The only thing that's lacking is, is this connection. And so if you're wondering about how to make that connection, I, I want to go to uh, the words of Peter, because he was another follower of Jesus, and shortly after Jesus' life and death, and then his uh, resurrection, uh, Peter's giving a, a message. He's talking to some people about Jesus, and he talks about how to begin to have this connection, how to receive the benefits of all the things that God wants to do for us. And this is what he says. This is in Acts chapter 2. He says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who calls on the name of Jesus, will be saved. So Peter says it's pretty simple. If you want to begin a connection with God, if, if, if you want what he has to give you, the, the answer isn't try to become a good person or follow all the rules. No, no, no. That's not the, that's not the thing. The thing is, call on the name of the Lord Begin this connection with him. Cry out to him, and he will begin to bring you life, even though you're dead in your transgressions. He goes on a little later, and, and the people, are, the people are, are hearing him speak, and, and they're cut to the heart, and they're saying, we want this life, but we don't have it, and we know we're sinful, and we know life isn't going well. So they ask this question, what should we do? And Peter replies, and he says this, repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's a word sometimes we hear uh, people speak or crazy people on street corners say repent. What does repent mean? It, it, means, it means to acknowledge that you can't live apart from God. That even though you're going through life fine on your own or, or seemingly so, the reality is it's not fine. It's not okay. This isn't working for you and it can't work forever. Repenting means, means to turn away from yourself and to turn toward God, call on the name of the Lord as we just heard. And then it says, be baptized. He says, be baptized. Receive God's gifts for you in baptism. Baptism isn't just a symbol that you have faith. It's actually a way that God brings faith and forgiveness and the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what Peter will go on to say. He says, repent and be baptized. If you want this connection, turn away from yourself and turn towards God. Cry out to him. Be baptized. Every one of you, this is for all of us, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you do that, he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the one who who cultivates faith in our lives. He says the promise is for you and your children and for all who are for us. See, this isn't just for some people. This idea that God only wants to favor some, it's not true, it's not biblical. It's for you. It's for your children and it's for people living half a world away who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It is for everybody, Peter says. And so if you're sitting here today and you are not yet connected to the life of Jesus, today is your day. See, it's not about worthiness. It's not measuring your life compared to someone else. That's not the scale that God uses. That's not what he's concerned about. See, your faith is all about your connection. And today, just the most important question you could ask yourself is the question that, that God is asking you. And it's this question of not, are you good? See, that's a question we ask all the time in church. You know, are you good? Are you good? That's what we think religion's about. It's not what God is about. God's question is not, are you good? But his question is, are you mine? Do you belong to me? Do you know me? Have you called out to me? Do we have a relationship? And, and you get how to have relationships with other people. 
And frankly, having a relationship with God, it's, it's not all that different. See, God's question for us today is not, are you good? Because the reality is none of us are good enough. We're all broken. We're all flawed. Don't even bother asking that question. God's question is, are you mine? Do you belong to me? And if you do, then, then I can give you life that is so full and abundant you won't believe it. So that's it then. Just about faith, connection, our goodness doesn't matter at all. No, goodness matters incredibly to God. In fact, that's why uh, we just have to acknowledge that, that we as Christians, we've done a crummy job of representing God to other people, and so many people stay away from Jesus and his life and a connection with him because of us, because of how we live our lives. And, and it's like Paul knew that. He saw that as being a risk that people would just go, okay, faith, connection, nothing else matters. And, and he said, hold on there, hold on there. It's true that, that God's primary question is, are you mine, not are you good? And yet, this is what Paul says at the end. He says, this whole, you know, it's by grace, through faith. It's not from yourself. It's a gift. It's not by works. And then he says this, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do good works matter? Yeah, they matter incredibly. But not because good works are what get you connected to God, no. They matter because that's what you were created to do. Good works matter because you are God's workmanship. You are his handiwork. You are his masterpiece. And you were created to do good works. And until you get that right, life will never be right for you. And if you're looking at your life today and you're saying, hey, I, I've got this connection. I, I, I've called on Jesus. I, I trust in him. I believe in him. I love him. But, but I don't see all the good works in my life that I'd like to. First of all, join the club, right? Because none of us ever do. And yet, and yet the truth is that, that through deepening that connection with Jesus, you can deepen the good works that come out of your life. And we're going to spend a whole series after this one, after Puzzled, talking about what you can do to deepen the connection between yourself and God. And I'm really excited about it, but you're going to have to wait a few weeks till we get there. So, so just in conclusion, this idea that faith is all that God cares about, it's not true. God cares about a lot more than faith. He cares about how you live your life. And he cares about how you treat other people. He cares about how you treat the planet. He cares about how you treat yourself. He cares about you, and he cares about every person Whoever breathes a breath on this planet, he cares about us all. And yet the question for us today is not, tell me all the things that God cares about. The reality is that, that if you want fullness of life now and forever, if, if, if you want to push back the, the slow death that is coming over you in this life, and forever, if, if you want to know fullness and abundance that comes from being loved by a God who is rich in mercy and is filled with great love, then your connection to that is not anything that you do, but it's all about whether or not there is a connection. Are you his? And if you are, it'll not only change your eternity, but it'll change your life. And I want to pray for that for all of us right now. Lord, God, I thank you for being a God who is rich in mercy. And I thank you so much that you are um, just filled with compassion for us. And that, God, you love us in spite of ourselves. And my prayer for us today is simple. I pray that you would give us faith, give us connection, give us the courage 
to turn away from ourselves and, and the way we're living life and how we're trying to figure life out. And I pray that you would you give us the courage to call on you. Lord, I ask that you would uh, encourage those in this room who are maybe um, just not feeling like believing people. I pray that you would prove yourself to us. Woo us with your love so that we can call out to you. Show us that life isn't working out as well as we think, even though we're trying the hardest that we can. And cause us to turn away from ourselves and to turn toward you, to call on your name, to receive forgiveness, to receive life, to receive baptism, to receive your Holy Spirit, so that we can have what you want us to have. God, I know your heart must break when you look down on us and, 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 and you've got all these desires and dreams and hopes for us and we are settling for so much less. So God, I pray that you would give us today the ability to cry out to you and that you would make us yours, that you would claim us, that you would love us, that you would show mercy like only you can show and that, God, today either you would begin a connection with you or that you would deepen it so that we can have more of your favor, more of your life, more of your presence now and forever. God, I pray this all in the name of Jesus who went to such great lengths that we might be yours. He gave his life. God, and I, I thank you for that, for his commitment to us that we might have your best that he gave his life. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.